Well, I apologize for having a video illustration after that song, because um, I really want that song to linger for us. I invite you to watch the recording online later and just let it sink in. Um, as we turn to Isaiah 59 today, which you'll find on page 639 in your pew Bibles, the whole chapter, and we're going to walk through it section by section, the whole chapter is an invitation for us to listen to God as he reminds us of all that Isaiah has been talking about. The challenges of us as God's people living in this broken world with our broken lives, being so distracted. And I think that one of the themes uh, well, as I was reading it, I felt like God is addressing how we're so tempted, so compelled to build a house of cards. But, and as oppressive it is, as it is, 12 hours, 48 stories, 10,800 cards, but we still saw all the cards just blow away at the end, right? It, it's still fragile. And so, one of the core messages, I think, from Isaiah 59 is that God is helping us see that all these idols that we're so drawn to, all this worldly power that looks like it could help us be so strong, is really just a house of cards. And the only way to truly find strength and security is to find it in the God who saves. So I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 59. Uh, we're going to read the first four verses, and then we'll kind of make our way through the chapter. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. So our first kind of reflection is that in this world, in our broken lives, in the brokenness of the world, in this society of scarcity, we feel fragile. And there are times that we wonder why, as we're trying to remind ourselves that the sun is real even when it doesn't shine, that love is real even when we don't feel it, that God is real even when he seems silent. In those moments when we wonder why we feel so fragile, sometimes we wonder, like the Israelites did, is God too weak? Is he just too weak? Are the gods of the world stronger than our God? 
these people who worship idols, they've overtaken us. They've taken us from our land. Is it just that our God wasn't strong enough? Really, there is just a pantheon of gods, and really, we thought our God was the best, but maybe he's not. But Isaiah chapter 59 says, Surely God's arm isn't too short to reach out and help. Surely his ear isn't deaf. He's not, it's not too hard for him to hear us. The disconnect comes not in God's weakness, but in our sin and lack of faith. Now certainly some of these descriptions that we have in Isaiah 59 would fit more with the way we see the world around us than where we see ourselves. And that's probably fair. But it's important for us to recognize the challenge of living in this broken world that's described these ways. And as we try to fight through the fear and the fragility, our attempts to feel secure and safe are reasonable. It makes sense that we want to feel safer. But God calls out. He calls to us again and again. This whole huge book of prophecy is this continued call to God's people to say, I am enough for you. I am strong. Trust me above all things, and I will take care of you. So as we start to think about this house of cards, uh, Isaiah uses different imagery. He says, They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die, and when one is broken, an adder is hatched. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil deeds, and acts of violence are in their hands. Isaiah says, there's danger all around. It's like snakes and snake eggs, and while it's it's not really true, like if we were to eat a snake egg, we wouldn't, even of a poisonous snake, we might not suddenly die. But it's this picture, this imagery that says there's danger all around us. It's true. But our solutions, apart from God, are equally dangerous. I appreciate the imagery of cobwebs. It's, it's kind of an illustration of the emperor's new clothes. But it's a, a picture for us of this fragile house of cards. It can look so impressive, but it's still not secure. God says the cobwebs are useless for clothing. We, we spin our webs, and they can entangle other people in them. We can convince other people to join in our schemes. 
and convince each other that together, with all this scheming and weaving, we're really safer than we were before. But God warns us that our earthly scheming, our human solutions, our human power, anything we turn to in this world, in this life, is insufficient. And while we may convince ourselves that we have power as dangerous a weapon as a, a viper, a cobra, while we may feel comfort in weaving together this band of people who are going to stand together with whatever our intent is. It is not nearly as strong as we think it is because our strength is found not in our togetherness, our like-mindedness, our own efforts, but in God alone. And God makes that clear. So second, we're reminded in this passage that pretending we're not fragile doesn't make things better. You see, so often, as we struggle with the sin in our own lives, and the sin in the world, the world's solution is that we should just decide we're okay just the way we are. That we should be our authentic selves and that we should not allow anyone to say anything harmful or offensive to us about what we might think, do, say, or believe. That if we've decided it, it's good enough. But see, they're fighting against only part of the truth that God has for us. And the truth for us is that God's message to us is plain and clear. We were created on purpose, and God loves us. So that desire of the world to say, be your authentic self, just, you are okay just the way you are, it's kind of partly true. We are valuable. We are image bearers of God. We matter. And nobody should try to take that away from us. But the rest of the story that God tells us is that we are broken. We are stubborn rebels. We are separated from the God who made us on purpose and loves us. We separate. We're even disconnected from ourselves in our sin. Like we don't understand ourselves. We don't understand each other. And we're at war with ourselves and with other people. We are fragile. It is hard. But the world says, just pretend it's not as bad as it feels. And God says, pretending we're not fragile doesn't make things better. And in verses 9 through 11, we hear this description of what the world is like, and it feels like a description of what we experience today. 
So justice is far from us. And righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. We all growl like bears. We mourn mournfully like doves. We moan mournfully like doves. We look for justice, but find none. For deliverance, but it is far away. When we appeal to the world systems and to our human schemes, we leave ourselves still empty while trying to convince ourselves that we're filled up and strong. This is especially true of us today in the social media world. Even if you're like me and you only shop on Facebook once a month to see who might come up in your feed, and you never post anything because there's nothing you could possibly say that all your friends could read and understand or give assent to. Still, there's this pressure that becomes just assumed just because we only see the highlights of people's lives on social media. But much of our lives are not Instagram ready. We're building a house of cards. And even if we're not trying to build it, we feel the pressure of it. Because those perspectives are all around us. And it's exhausting. Pretending we're better than we are doesn't solve our problem. It just leaves all those problems festering and dangerous. And we might be more fragile than we were before. But God makes it really clear that we don't have to hide from the truth. We don't have to run from the truth. We don't have to pretend that the truth is not as hard as it seems. In verses 12 through 15, you may notice, uh, if you had the time to really read through the chapter and study it, you would, you would see that there's a change in voice throughout this chapter. There's third-person descriptions of what's happening out there. There's first-person plural understandings. But in verses 12 through 15, we get this first-person plural confession. For part of the chapter, the speaker is just addressing what's happening to other people. It even starts with you are struggling with this. The world around us, society, has all these things going on, but now the speaker joins in with all those people 
and offers this confession. And through it, we're reminded that confession and truth lead to strength. It's painful to admit when we're wrong. It's painful to walk in and expose the brokenness and fragility that we feel because we just want to hide it from ourselves as well as from other people. But God says the best path is to hear his truth, let it expose the weakness in us, admit that it's true, and turn to him. For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. Rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. You see, in this confession, we admit that the brokenness is still in us. And that our own pretending is part of the problem. There's some fascinating phrases in here. Uh, we see that our own schemes, which are meant to like bring this experience of justice, but because they're not built on the truth of God, they're built on our own ideas and our own need for security, it actually pushes justice back, withholds it instead of bringing it in. Psalm chapter 32 addresses a sim this similar topic. The psalmist says, When I was silent about my sin, it was this heavy burden. It wore me out. It's like walking outside on a super hot and humid day when your energy just evaporates as soon as you breathe in the air. When I was silent about my sin, it just continued to be a burden to me. But then, I turned to you and admitted my sin, and then I was free. Because in you, there is forgiveness. So we find, and God paints a beautiful picture of this in this lengthy section at the end of this chapter. We find that justice and security come only in the Redeemer. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. That all our schemes, all our attempts to make things right had failed, and even perhaps made things worse. He looked and he was displeased. 
And so what was his solution? He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal and in a clo- as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so will he repay. Wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes, he will repay the islands their due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. You see, God offers us the solution. Centuries before Jesus came, God wanted his people to be reminded that he had promised a solution and that he alone could take care of them. We know Jesus has come. We're here to worship him this morning. But it's sometimes still easy to forget that he is our solution, that he is our strength, our refuge, that he is the one who will defeat the enemies. And he will bring peace to his people who repent of their sins. The Redeemer will come, said Isaiah. And we know that he has come. And not only that, but that he's promised to come again. This last verse, I just wanted to save it for just a little bit. It's this incredible picture of what our community will feel like and be like in the very presence of God when our redemption is complete in his presence. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. We can be assured of this, that though we only get glimpses of it now, that it will be fulfilled, and this is our future as we trust in him. My spirit who is on you will not be depart from you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants. From this time on and forever, says the Lord. You see, there is great strength and security when we find ourselves in the presence of the Lord. Not because we're hiding the truth from us, ourselves. Not because we're trying to pretend to be better than we are. Not because we're trying to believe that the evil is not as threatening to us as it seems. We're not pretending. 
We're turning to the Lord and hearing his truth. And he says boldly, I made you on purpose and I love you. You are in trouble and I am your hope. I am your rescuer. So when you feel fragile, when you feel afraid, turn to me. Because I'm always enough and I am always present. Psalm 139 tells us there's nowhere we could go that God isn't there. There's nowhere we can hide even if we wanted to. That he would not be present. We live in a fragile world with escalating threats all around us. We feel fragile in our own relationships. But the truth from God is clear and simple. Hard to apply sometimes. Hard to really feel like it, it's enough to live this out. Because we're so compelled to protect ourselves. In, in Genesis chapter 4, after Cain had killed his brother, showing how quickly our sin just destroys us. In the second generation of human beings, we had murder. But as God had dealt with Cain and told him he would be cursed but also protected, Cain went off and built a city. And it's a picture of how we live east of Eden, outside the paradise and protection of the Lord, we just try to build up things around us so that we can feel as safe as it was in the garden. But everything we build is a house of cards. And God says, they might look pretty, but they're going to fall down. Trust me, I'm your rock and your salvation. I'm enough. And I will not fail. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. We thank you that you remind us again and again and again in your word because in the chaos of our lives, we just need these reminders all the time. We thank you for this reminder that the world is a scary place and our lives are broken. We're a mess. But you are solid and secure. You are a firm foundation. And in you and in you alone do we find hope, a future, salvation, forgiveness of our sins, and security from the storm. The wind and the waves still know your name. And we can trust you in all things. So we pray that you would make us strong. Not in ourselves, but in our proximity to you. And our faith in you. That you would fill us with your spirit and assure us by your word. That what you've said is always true. And you are enough.
In Jesus' name.